Praise the Lord. Amen. We're starting to fill back out here. That's a that's good. <laughs> a lot of people got sick here over the new year on into this year. We're getting better. Amen. Praise God. Let's uh, still remember Sister uh, Shepherd. She's ill now. She made it past the initial wave, but she got hit in the second. <laughs> so let's pray for her. Uh, still remembering Brother Bell. Amen. <clears throat> Most of us are back at it. That's good. Amen. Let's all stand. It is so good to be in the house of God this morning. So good to be able to enter into His presence, to be able to entertain His presence with His people. Amen. What an awesome privilege this is. An awesome opportunity that He's given us this morning. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. Thank You so very much for this opportunity You've given us to enter into the presence of Almighty God. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. To enter into your very throne room, the Holy of Holies. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help us to not take that for granted, to not esteem it lightly, but to avail ourselves of this opportunity this morning to touch you, to be touched by you, to hear your voice, to feel your touch, to draw nigh unto you today. Thank you, Jesus, for your great faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your healing touch these weeks. Hallelujah. We still pray for Brother Bell. We're praying for Sister Shepherd this morning. Anyone else within the sound of my voice that it needs a healing touch from you? Lord Jesus, we declare, we understand through Scripture that you are the great physician, that you purchased our healing with stripes on your back. We're claiming this healing now in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for healing us in times past. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to the covenant promises you've given us, that you have established with us through your word. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We declare your greatness in in this service today, and that all of your heart would be accomplished, that all of your mind would be manifest here today. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We are trusting in you. We are hoping in you. We are expecting awesome things of an awesome God today. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. And we declare it to be so in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. He's an awesome God, church. He is a glorious Savior. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated this morning. What a good God we serve. Praise God. It is so good to see all of you this morning. What a privilege it is to be with you today. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, war again because we haven't talked about it in a few weeks, so why not? The title of this is, Yes, We're Still at War. <clears throat> we're still at war. Uh, and it occurs to me, as I was going through this this morning, uh, <laughs> some of this seems a little bit like a rant, uh, like, an, like an angry person up here 
just venting. And I, that's not really the case. However, I am angry. I am frustrated. I am upset with some things. But there are some things that we ought to be upset about. There are some things that, we, that ought to get us a little riled up. And conversely, there are things that we do get angry about that shouldn't really affect us at all. The Bible exhorts us to be angry and sin not. There are things that we ought to be angry about. And so if it sounds this morning like I'm angry or upset, I'm not angry or upset with you. I am angry with the enemy. I am angry with the state of affairs in our world today. I am upset at the boldness and the arrogance of our enemy. Amen. But not with people. People at best are pawns. They're tools that the enemy uses sometimes against us. But we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. They are not the enemy. They may seem like it. Because it's them that seem to be attacking us, speaking out against us, doing everything they can to hinder us and to make us feel maybe foolish or uh, irrelevant. But it's not them that are doing the speaking. The message that they're proclaiming is not coming from them. It's coming from the enemy. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 11 this morning where we find our scripture text today. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 says this, if ye, then being, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. We'll talk more about that momentarily. There is a man who has published a few works. His name is Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Maybe some of you have heard of him. Uh, his kind of uh, magnum opus, if you will, is a work called Gulag Archipelago. And in this work, I just got it for Christmas and I just started reading it. It is a fascinating look into socialism, communism, uh, and it comes from a very first-hand experience. This man was in the 40s. Uh, he was an officer in the Russian military. 
And he was caught speaking out one time in writing to a confidant against one of the policies of his government. And, of course, because of that, he was arrested, processed, taken to the gulag. He starts off his book talking about the, uh, the, the fascinating science behind the arrest process. There was a method for everything that they did. Sometimes they would arrest you in the middle of the night. Sometimes they would arrest you in the middle of the day. Sometimes they would arrest you at home. Sometimes they would take you at work. Sometimes they would lie and say, you got a free trip to some place that's really nice. And as you were waiting to board the plane, some very friendly person would come and approach you and need to speak with you for a moment. And you'd never be seen again. But he goes kind of in depth on, on the, the reasons for that, the science behind it, the fear that would be established because of this. And in one point, he, he says this, and I think this is telling to our message today and in general to our state of affairs in the United States. He says this, and I quote, Universal innocence also gave rise to the universal failure to act. Maybe they won't take you. Maybe it will all blow over. A.I. Ladizensky was the chief teacher in a school in remote Kolgrove. In 1937, a peasant approached him in an open market and passed him a message from a third person. Alexander Ivanich, get out of town, you are on the list. But he stayed. After all, the whole school rests on my shoulders. And their own children are pupils here. How can they arrest me? <clears throat> Several days later, he was arrested. Not everyone was so fortunate as to understand at the age of 14, as did Vanya Levitsky. He quotes this person. Every honest man is sure to go to prison. Right now my papa is serving time, and when I grow up, they'll put me in too, unquote. They put him in when he was 23 years old. The majority sit quietly and dare to hope. Since you aren't guilty, then how can they arrest you? It's a mistake. They're already dragging you along by the collar and you still keep on exclaiming to yourself, it's a mistake. They'll set things straight and let me out. Others are being arrested en masse, and that's a bothersome fact, but in those other cases, there is always some dark area. Maybe he was guilty. But as for you, you are obviously innocent. You still believe that the organs, he refers to the, the organizations that are involved with this organs, you still believe that the organs are humanely logical institutions. They will set things straight and let you out. Why then should you run away? And how can you resist right then? After all, you'll only make your situation worse. You'll make it more difficult for them to sort out the mistake. And it isn't just that you don't put up any resistance. You even walk down the stairs on tiptoe as you are ordered to so your neighbors won't hear. At what exact point, then, should one resist? When one's belt is taken away? When one is ordered to face into a corner? When one crosses the threshold of one's home? An arrest consists of a series of incidental irrelevancies, of a multitude of things that do not matter. 
and there seems no point in arguing about any one of them individually. And yet all of these incidental irrelevancies taken together implacably constitute the arrest. He has a footnote in which he says this. And how we burned in the camps later thinking, what would things have been like if every security operative, when he went out at night to make an arrest, had been uncertain whether he would return alive and had to say goodbye to his family? He mentioned earlier that that's how everyone else felt. When you went off to work, you said goodbye as if it were the last time. Because you never knew if you were going to be taken at work and thrown into the gulag. What if they had been uncertain whether they would return alive and had to say goodbye to their family? If, if we didn't love freedom enough, and even more, we had no awareness of the real situation. We spent ourselves in one unrestrained outburst in 1917, and then we hurried to submit. We submitted with pleasure. We purely and simply deserved everything that happened afterward. Amen. Now, he's talking, of course, about a secular institution, the communist regime in Soviet Russia. But tonight we're talking about a different regime, not the one being built in the United States presently, but a spiritual regime, one that's already in place, one that is manifesting itself more and more. Our enemy continues to encroach on our territory, and we continue to give ground. I spoke in an earlier message on Nivelle Chamberlain in the first days of World War II in Europe. His policy, he was the Prime Minister of England at the time, and his policy was just give Hitler everything he wants and maybe he'll go away. He wants Poland, okay, we'll give him Poland, and then he'll stop. Peace in our time, peace at all costs, peace no matter what. Well, it didn't work, did it? (laughs) For some reason, Adolf Hitler wasn't satisfied with just Poland. He wanted all of it. Crazy thought. In any case, he was replaced by a man named Winston Churchill. His policy was way different. We will never surrender. We'll fight on the beaches and in the land and in the air. We'll fight in the streets. We will never surrender. That was his policy. Somehow that ended up working. It seems paradoxical. It seems counterintuitive that through war we finally get peace. Through a show of force. We can finally have peace. We know there are Christians around the world already being called on to pay the ultimate price for their faith in Jesus Christ. We understand that intellectually. We read about it. We feel bad. We, we try to relate to them. But that's on another continent. That's in another time zone. That is so far removed from us. It's unfortunate, but, well, that's the reality of living in that country. 
But that's the whole point of this message. It's coming here. The things that they're already being called on to sacrifice and to pay. We are going to be called on to sacrifice and to pay as well. If these are the end times, and I believe with all of my heart they are, then this isn't going away. We must, through much, perse- through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. We are not going to escape that fact. As much as we want to, as much as I want to. If I had a choice, I'd pick Easy Street on into glory. Every one of us would. But that's not our choice to make. We have to follow Jesus Christ where He leads us. And if He leads us through persecution and trial, then that's where we have to go. We can't skirt around it. We can't meet Him on the other side. That's not going to work. The whole point is, it's coming here. But we haven't grasped that yet. We haven't wrapped our minds around that yet. We're still in a peacetime mentality in the United States. We are. But we need to stir ourselves. We need to shake ourselves and get into a wartime mentality. Because war is here, folks. It's here. It's knocking at your door every single day. Every time you turn on the internet, It's right there in front of you. You drive down and look at a billboard. It's right there in front of you. You turn on the radio. It's right there in front of you. The enemy's not going to wait for you. He's not going to wait for you to get ready, to prepare, to build up. Thank God we had time in World War II in the United States. We had a number of years to build up, to ramp up to wartime production. The enemy's not going to wait for you to do that. He's here now, today, knocking at your door, speaking into your ear. Sultan Etchen said this as well, A person who is not inwardly prepared for the use of violence against him is always weaker than the person committing the violence. When we're in a peacetime mentality and we see any kind of violence, it repulses us. It shocks us to our very core. When someone's mugged on the street, that is a shocking I shouldn't have to worry about that in the United States, getting mugged. When someone breaks into someone's home, the psychological effect of that is profound. This is my sanctum sanctorum. This is my castle. I'm safe here. No, you're not. Not anymore. Someone just broke into my sanctum sanctorum. And the psychological effect that has It's huge. It shocks you to your very core. I'm not safe anywhere. 
In this life, you're not safe anywhere. Violence can happen to you at any time. And it's good to get psychologically prepared for that. Not just physically, but spiritually. Violence will occur in your life spiritually. If it hasn't already, it's going to. And you need to get ready for that. You need to accept the fact that the enemy hates your guts. He is trying to destroy you. Every single moment of the day and night, he is trying to destroy you. We like to think of him sometimes as some clown. And the best he could do is just give me a bad day. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what he does. That's, that's the old devil. That's not the devil. The devil is seeking to kill you. He wants to destroy your eternity with Jesus Christ. He is pure evil. There's nothing good. There's nothing redeemable in him. You've got to realize that. Why won't we actively resist the enemy? Why are we afraid to engage the enemy? I've heard this I don't know how many times, and I used to feel this way too. Oh, I don't want to pray too hard against him specifically. He might come after me. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever thought that? Yeah, I used to think that. I don't want to bind the strong man. Because if I do, he's going to come for me. Yeah. Well, guess what? You already got a bullseye on your back. He's already coming after you. So there's nothing here to lose. And everything to gain. Why don't we go out and actively fight the enemy on his territory? We ought not just resist the enemy when he comes against us. We ought to be on the offensive. Don't wait for him to come to you. Let's go to him. And I'm going to say some things here, and I hope you understand the spirit in which I say them. We get sick, okay? We, we all understand that. And when we get sick, I expect you're going to stay home. Nurse yourself back to health. That's what I do. Get well. Get some rest. Then come back when you feel better. That's fair. But here's what I do have a problem with. When we let a sniffle or a, an ache keep us out of church, but then we're still going to go to work, we're still going to go shopping, we're still going to take care of everything else that we need to take care of, it's just we can't come to church now. That's when I have a problem with it. Now, if you're sick, absolutely. Stay home. Get well. Nothing wrong with that from everything. Absolutely. Let's be consistent, okay? If you can stay out of church, you should probably stay home from work. You should probably stay out of the grocery store. If you need groceries, call someone. Call me. We'll get you some groceries. Stay home and get well. Okay, that indicates to me something when you'll stay out of church, but everything else is fine. That indicates a, a heart issue. That ought not so to be. 
This is the priority. This needs to be our focus. And I'm not talking about just coming into a building. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. The work that God has given us needs to be our focus. And if we're putting anything else in front of that, we stay out of church but go to work. That's it. That's that's a condition of the heart that needs to be worked out. I'm valuing something else more than the kingdom of God. Well, I got to pay the bills. Yeah, I get that. But see, you're thinking that your job is your provider. And that's not true. The Lord Jesus is our provider. He's who provides all of our needs. And if we put his business first, you don't have to worry about that. He's going to take care of your needs by default. Don't worry about that. Put his business first. Put church first. Put the kingdom of God first. And everything else takes care of itself. He'll take care of all of that for you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added freely unto you. <clears throat> this whole COVID thing has blown things so out of proportion. And it has divided us. And it has brought fear and panic to us. And it has... Nothing good has come from it. Nothing good has come from this whole situation. Again, please hear me. Please understand what I'm saying. If you're sick, stay home. Get well. Take the proper precautions. Absolutely. I'm all for that. I tested positive and I stayed home. Okay? No problem with that. However, when we let the fear of this dictate to us the will of God, when we let... COVID dictate to us how we're going to move forward as a church. I have a problem with that. COVID is not the head of this church. The government is not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. I'm not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. And we're going to follow Him. He is going to lead us forward, wherever that takes us. And we can't let this situation divide us. Did you get the shot? Are you going to get the shot? I don't care if you get the shot. If you feel like you need to get it, then get it. If you feel like you don't need it, don't get it. I don't care. You pray about it. You seek God for it. If it's good in the Holy Ghost for you, absolutely. There are some that... For whatever reason, they feel like they need it. Yes, go get the shot. Get all your boosters. If you don't need it, then don't get it. But here's where we need to be careful. If you got the shot, don't look down on those that didn't. If you didn't get the shot, don't look down on those that did. That is a personal choice. You have no business interfering with that. Neither does the government. <clears throat> so stop letting fear dictate how we proceed as a church, as a Christian. The government is not going to dictate to the church how we conduct business.
might talk more about that later. <clears throat> Probably not today. I'm tired of the enemy speaking into our lives and dictating to us how we conduct kingdom business. Satan is not the head of this church. Satan is not our Lord and Savior. So why are we listening to him? Why do we listen to him when he tells us something and we have such a hard time listening to God? We'll believe Satan right off the bat when he tells us it's not possible. When he tells us we can't do this. We can't go there. We'll believe him just like that. When Jesus tells us, you're a new creature in in me. You can do all things through me. I've given you open promises. We struggle with it. We can't accept that fact. Why is that? Because Satan is so much more trustworthy? Because God isn't trustworthy? Why is that? Who sits on our throne, God or Satan, or us? Who's sitting on our throne? Does God get to speak to us and tell us how to proceed? Or does the enemy get to do that? Or do I get to decide that for myself? When we stray away from Scripture, when we are not entertaining God's presence daily, when we're not taking the opportunities given to us to enter into His presence and draw close to Him and conform to His image, when we're not doing that, we separate ourselves from Him and we start to get confused and we start to misinterpret Scripture and we start to to not understand things and doubt things. And then the enemy comes in and tells us, you're absolutely right to doubt that. You shouldn't believe that. That's not always true. And you're going to buy into that because you're, you're moving away from Jesus right now. You're not listening to the Word of God. You're listening to someone else. What's the fix for that? It's easy. Stay in the Word of God. Stay close to Jesus Christ. Let Him speak to you. Don't listen to the enemy. When you hear anything that contradicts Scripture, you know it's not from God. Throw it away. I don't care if there's 95% truth to it. It's okay to throw the whole thing away. Because i got 100% truth right here. I don't have to worry about spitting out the bones when I'm reading the Word of God. There are no bones. It's all meat. It's all good food. So don't worry about it. Our enemy is to be treated with the utmost concern, focus, and respect. We don't give him glory. Okay? We understand that as a son or a daughter of the Most High God, we have authority over him. Jesus has given us victory over him. But we need to understand he's not a clown either. He's a serious contender. And if you don't take him seriously, you're going to screw that up. He's going to come in the back door where you're not expecting him. I saw a show one time. I can't remember what it is, and I doubt it's worth watching anymore. Uh, It's probably junk every other way. But this guy was portraying the devil. 
And he said something that was interesting to me. <clears throat> he said, everybody expects the devil to be this big, flashy, powerful character. No, 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 that's not me at all. I'm the little guy. I'm the guy in the corner no one notices. No one sees me coming. Not until it's too late. And that stuck with me. I think there's a little bit of truth in that. <clears throat> no one sees me coming. Not till it's too late. Don't underestimate him. Don't take him for granted. Yes, we have power and authority over him. We have victory over him. But don't take him for granted either. Don't just poo-poo him away thinking he's all taken care of. That's like thinking my old nature is gone. I don't have to worry about it anymore. That's not true either. I got to contend with this every single day. I got to die daily. And I got to realize the enemy's there every day. I got to take authority over him every day. Don't take him for granted. Don't do it. You'll do that to your peril. He's not a clown. He's not a trickster. He's not just trying to give you a bad day. He's not Murphy lurking around the corner. He is out to utterly destroy your life, your relationships, your finances, your relationship with Jesus Christ, your eternity. He wants to destroy everything that you are. <clears throat> and anything He's allowed to touch, He's going to, to the full extent possible. Thank God he's on a leash. But there are times God's going to allow him some leeway. And he'll be allowed to touch some things in your life. So get ready for it. Don't be surprised when violence comes to your door. Because it's going to. You need to respond in kind. With violence. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. The violent take it by force. This is war. Now I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about spirits. I'm talking about the enemy. We need to be violent against the enemy. Stop acquiescing to him. Stop listening to him. Stop just giving ground. Ah, maybe if I just give him this little area, he'll leave me alone. That didn't work for Chamberlain, and it's not going to work for you. Guess what? Satan will never be appeased. I'll just keep this little secret sin, and then that'll be okay. That's going to lead to another secret sin. And that's going to lead to a more open sin. Satan will never be appeased, church. He wants all of it. He won't be satisfied until you're completely destroyed. Because he hates you. He hates you with every fiber of his being. He's not doing you any favors. You think he is? It's for a reason. Not because he likes you. Because he wants to destroy you. In our scripture text, we read this. Because we're dead to our old nature, we ought to then be alive to our new nature. Our affections are on spiritual things because we've been resurrected spiritually. That means that our affections are no longer on the carnal or natural things because we're dead to those things now. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
That is such a powerful statement. The things that I invest my time and money and resources in are the things that I'm going to love. That's what I'm going to focus on. Our ultimate goal is to make it to heaven and spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal. After that, nothing else really matters, does it? If I make it, if I make it to glory, if I stand before Jesus and hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Nothing else is going to matter after that. Anything I had to give up, anything I had to go through, sacrifice, suffer, endure, agonize over, it's not going to matter anymore. Here's the kicker. A lot of those things I went through are exactly what got me there. I wouldn't have made it to heaven except I went through those things. And God knew that. God knows that in your life. When we keep Jesus in front of us, our vision and our direction remains clear. But if we lose that focus and something else gains our attention... Our vision becomes muddied. And we get out of focus. And we get confused. And we start having doubts. Fear grips us. Uncertainty starts overwhelming us. In Jesus Christ, we have certainty. In Jesus Christ, we have a solid rock, a shield, a buckler, a high tower, a strong defense. But if we lose that, if we lose the direction that Jesus provides, if we lose the, the focus and the, the uh, purpose that He puts into us, into our lives, if we don't have that, we don't have anything. What do we have without the purpose that Jesus Christ gives us? We're left with specifics then. I'm going to be the best doctor I can be. I'm going to be the best football player I can be. That's all well and good. Bible instructs us, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Nothing wrong with that. If that's all we got, and then I get kicked into eternity, that's all I have. That's not going to work. I need something more than just being the best doctor I can be. If I'm going to be a doctor, you ought to be the best doctor you can be. Absolutely. But that's still not my focus. I need Jesus to provide that for me. When I lose Jesus, when I, stay, when I get out of Scripture, when I get out of a prayer closet, I start losing that. And that's when everything else starts coming in. Doubt, confusion, uncertainty. That's where that comes from. There's a song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That's absolutely true. 
I've been saying that this, this walk with God is a very simple thing. It's not confusing. It's not hard. You don't have to be a theologian to understand how to get to heaven. It's very simple. Living for God is very simple. Children can understand how to live for God. Just keep Jesus first. Keep him out in front. Stay focused on him. A relationship with him. Just pursue that. Everything else falls into place. Without Jesus, we're going to start fearing the wrong things. There are things we ought to fear. We ought to fear God. That means reverence. We're not trembling in fear of God. Unless you're a sinner, maybe you ought to be. Fear of judgment. But also hope in His mercy. That fear of judgment is what led me to His mercy. But we need to respect and reverence the Lord our God. If we do that, There's no reason to fear anything or anyone else. Matthew 10.28 says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We end up fearing the wrong things. We end up doubting the wrong voices. We ought to doubt the enemy's voice. We ought to doubt our voice, but not God's voice. We ought to trust that voice implicitly. Confusion. Anger at the wrong things. We get angry with people. We get angry with getting cut off on the highway. Have you ever stopped to consider why we get angry about that? Have you ever tried to trace that through? Why exactly do I get so upset when someone cuts me off? I've thought about it and I can't figure it out. I don't know why I get upset about that. I do. (laughs) I have no idea why. It's completely nonsensical. It makes no sense at all. But the things that are going on in the world, the arrogance of the enemy, all the agendas that are being pushed today, we end up being not okay with it, but that's just that's just the end times. That's just what happens. That's why don't we get a little riled up about that? Why don't we get a little angry about what he's doing, and a little bit less angry about what someone's doing in front of me on the highway? He doesn't even know I exist anyway. Nine times out of ten, he didn't see me in the first place. I'm all stewing and raging and and ranting. He doesn't know I'm even on this planet. How's that for a kick in the head? He doesn't know what he did to me. (laughs) Acceptance of the wrong things. You know, we can get to a place where we start accepting... The ideals of the world, the styles of the world, the attitudes of the world. In church, we can get to that place. We're still higher than the world, morally speaking, so we're good to go. Even though we're both 
descending, maybe at the same time, but we still remain higher than the world. So we're good to go. No, we're not good to go. The world has never been our standard. Jesus is the standard. God's Word is the standard. That doesn't change. It's never going to change. Going back to fear. How many times in Scripture does the Lord tell us to fear not? I stopped counting. It's a lot. A lot. And how many times are we exhorted in Scripture to fear God? That is the only thing in Scripture we are ever exhorted to fear. And again, that means reverence, respect. We are not to fear man. We are not to fear the enemy. We are not to fear this world, our government, anything about it. As Christians, we ought to have peace concerning those things. The peace that passes all understanding. We are not to live in fear. That was never God's plan. We need to seek to live after the new man, to draw close to Jesus. When we do that, when we keep Him in focus, when we, we, we're pursuing Jesus Christ, and that's it. When we're pursuing Him. The fruit of the Spirit is going to manifest in our lives. The gifts of the Spirit are going to manifest. Everything that we're seeking after, holiness, revival, all of those are going to come organically, naturally, holistically. Almost sounds weird saying holistically when you're talking about God. Anyway, all of those will come naturally just by pursuing after Jesus. When we get the mind of Christ and begin to think like Him and see things as He sees them, that's what we want. We want to see things as God sees them. We want to think like He thinks. That's when confusion goes away. That's when doubts disappear. That's when uncertainty vanishes. When we start thinking like He does. Seeing as He sees. Both spiritual, spirituality and carnality cannot manifest themselves simultaneously in our lives. It's going to be one or the other. James 3, 9-12 says this, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same time sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. What's in here is going to come out. You can, you can put on a good show for a... a period of time you can hide your true nature for a little bit but at certain moments especially moments of stress your true nature is going to come out 
It's going to come out. And all of that junk and all of that bile is going to spew out of your mouth. And you're going to realize, I'm not where I need to be. The enemy wants you to focus on the natural. The enemy wants you stuck in your old nature. He wants you to be stuck on who you were. That's what he wants you to focus on. Who you were before God. Who you were before you came to this so great salvation. None of us were any good. Can I just say it? None of us had anything of any value to give God. And that's the facts. But He wanted us anyway. He loved us anyway. God wants us focused on who we are. Who we are in Him. We are new creatures. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's who we are today. What we were is dead. It's destroyed. It doesn't exist anymore. We don't have to focus on that. God wants us to stay focused on who we are. The enemy wants us focused on our past. Everything that we did, every stupid thing we said, that's what he wants us focused on. God wants us focused on our future. What he has planned for us in the future. What he wants us to accomplish. The ministries that he has given us. That's what he wants us focused on. The enemy wants us focused on me. God wants us focused on him. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says this. Very powerful passage of scripture. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Forget those things that happened yesterday. There's nothing you can do about them anymore anyway. Everything that we did yesterday is set in stone now. We could have affected that yesterday, but now it's too late. For better or for worse, what's done is done. Celebrate your victory, repent of your defeats, whatever you need to do. But I'm looking forward on into the future. The great things that God has in store for us. The ministries that he has given us. The powerful things that we're going to see God do. That's what we need to stay focused on. In conclusion, John 10.10 says, I think we all know this one, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. God has given us victory over our enemy, but if we're not careful, our enemy will steal that victory back. That's a thing. How many people do you know that started off strong in this so great salvation, but they're not here today? Don't think for one minute that that can't be us as well. We haven't made it yet. <clears throat> we need to walk carefully, humbly, circumspectly, 
trusting in the Lord our God for our salvation. Thank God we're all here today. But it's a choice. Every day it's a choice. I'm going to continue to serve Jesus. In the good times and in the not so good times. I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. I'm going to give him everything that I have. Because he gave me everything he had. We've got to take our enemy seriously. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to anything he has to say. Again, if what you're hearing is contradicting Scripture, that's not God. I don't care what it sounds like. I don't care if you see a vision from heaven. This glowing angel comes. I don't care. That's not God. If it contradicts Scripture, that's not God. That's the enemy coming as the angel of light. He is going to make perfect sense when he, when he speaks to you. I promise you that. Everything he says is going to seem true. It will. He's good at this. He's not going to come to you and say, I think you ought to get drunk and shoot crack cocaine right after church. Because he knows most of you probably aren't going to do that. No, it just doesn't sound all that good. He'll give you something else. Something a little bit more subtle. He knows how to play each of us. He knows how to manipulate us. He knows how to lead us where he wants us to go. Okay, again, I'm not trying to give him glory, but I am trying to put things in its proper perspective. We do need to take him seriously. Because if you don't, You just play around with this. He'll get you in the end. We need to take our warfare seriously. Nivell Chamberlain paid the price for not taking his enemy seriously. Winston Churchill didn't make that mistake. Neither should we. We know we win in the end. We know Jesus has given us victory and will give us victory every single day over the enemy. But we've got to walk in that. It's not my victory. It's Jesus' victory that he gave to me. It's mine now. He gave it to me. I didn't win that victory. I can't defeat the enemy on my own. He will destroy me on my own. No question about it. But through God, He cannot touch me. He cannot affect any area of my life except what God allows. And only that for God's purpose. And we trust God, don't we? Amen. If He allows Satan to touch an area of my life, I trust Him with that. He's doing that for a reason. Stop listening to the enemy. Start listening to God. Keep Him front and center. Keep pursuing Jesus Christ with everything in you. Draw close to Him every day. 
Get in his word. Study it out. Memorize it. Know it. Submit to it. Know it, because when the enemy comes with almost the word of God, you'll know it's not quite the word of God. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to twist it just a little bit, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. He's not going to give it to you all at once, but he will lead you where he wants you to go. Don't follow him. Don't listen to him. Don't submit to him. Don't acquiesce to him. Fight him with every fiber of your being. When he, he starts talking, tell him to shut his yapper. You don't have to be polite with him. He's the enemy. He's the enemy. Stay close to Jesus Christ. Love the things that He loves. He loves people. He loves righteousness. He loves holiness. Hate the things that He hates. He hates evil. He hates sin. He hates unrighteousness. Now where we ought to be hating unrighteousness first is right here. That's where we need to hate it the most. It's easy enough for me to hate it in your life. I need to hate it in my life first. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Sultanetson had one thing right. Gets a lot of things right, but for our purposes, this one thing this morning. <clears throat> At what point should we resist? You know, this, this question came up between my wife and I when all of these mandates started coming down. The mask mandates, later on the, the viruses, the shots. <clears throat> At what point does it become too much? At what point has the government overstepped their authority? They just go a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And any one thing just seems kind of irrelevant. It just seems like, why even bother arguing about that? But then before you know it, we used to be here, and now we're all the way over here. And I'm like, whoa, what happened? What point should we start questioning this? Okay, that was Solzhenitsyn's point, but my point is in the spiritual. At what point do we start resisting what the enemy's trying to do in our lives? I'm saying immediately. Immediately, as soon as he comes to you, the first time he speaks to you, that's when we resist. That's when we fight back. That's my point. This is war, church. And it's coming here. It's already here, but it's going to start manifesting in the physical. The spiritual war is going to spill over into the physical here before too much longer. And I'm praying, I am praying that this country turns around and that we see another great revival and God spares us for a while longer. But if this is the end times, I don't think that's going to happen. But I'm not God. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying for this country. 
that that happens. But it might not happen. God may intend for judgment to come to this country. And if that's the case, then folks, get ready. You're going to be in for a ride. Spiritually, it's going to be awesome. Physically, it's going to be hard. But spiritually, it's going to bring revival. It's going to bring everything that we've been praying for. Revival most always comes through this. In Exodus, the more Israel was persecuted, the more they grew. That's true of the church as well. Amen. So get ready for it. Keep praying for our country, but get ready. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. I am so thankful for you, your mercy, your love, your compassion, your grace to us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so enamored.